Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Metz. Today we are wrapping up the season. It is the first of our three-part season finale. Today we are talking about a whole bunch of football stories. I invited on every single KU guest that we've had on this entire season. Um, you know, so we've got Jesse Newell, Scott Chasen, uh, you know, obviously Steve Fetch and Mike Plank from Rock Chalk Talk. We got Brendan Dorzinski, Mike Vernon, Ari Temkin, and of course Derek Johnson. So all of them have come on. Um, and I'll come back after I'm done with, you know, everyone else. Uh, but talking about our biggest or our best or our favorite stories from the KU football season, we're going to do a similar episode tomorrow that's basketball uh, and then wrapping up the entire season with something else. Uh, you know, we, we always like here on the Rock Chalk podcast to highlight all the other programs as much as possible. And so, you know, taking an entire episode to talk about our favorite stories from elsewhere in the organization of KU Athletics not only gives us a lot more to talk about, but also, you know, gives us a chance to highlight some of those programs that don't necessarily make the headlines uh, that, that most people don't necessarily talk about that we don't necessarily get an opportunity to have so, you know, a guest on to talk about. So wanted to make sure we did that, but um, also do have some, some exciting announcements coming up. So make sure you do listen to all three episodes because I do have an announcement to make at the end of the season. So, uh, but we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and send you over. We'll do a, a break in right in the middle of everybody. But uh, but uh, let's let's get you over to the first interview. And I've got Scott Chasen here with me uh, from Fog.net. Scott, uh, question for you right now is your best or the biggest or your favorite football story from the year? You know, I think one of my favorite stories to obviously follow along and cover was kind of the emergence of a number of young players on the Kansas football roster. Uh, when Les Miles rebuilt the program, and that's what he did, taking 45 high school names over two years, uh, there were going to be growing pains, but it actually surprised me how quickly some of those guys uh, emerged. Covering Karan Prunty, uh, for example, I know now he's you know set to transfer and, and might right. go somewhere. Terrific. It sounds like he has Ohio State interest. Um, Karan Prunty is a guy that 
I mean, I've never seen a freshman just absolutely dominate at the cornerback position like he did. I, you know, I watched the Kansas spring game and I was wondering to myself, I was like, is Luke Grimm playing? He had such a good year, you know, at the end of last year, is, is he in the game? And I realized he was, he's just being covered by Karan Prunty who could take you yeah. out of the game. Uh, Marcus Harris, Dejan Terry, Stephen Parker, these guys really started to show flashes. Now, a lot of those guys are gone now. So it's more, you know, on to guys like Kenny Logan, who, um, you know, has kind of firmly established himself as a leader of the program. You've got some transfers coming in. Mike Nowitzki is someone uh, I'm really interested to see. But, yeah, I think it's some of those new faces emerging because, you know, obviously the coaching search, I think a lot of people are going to say that was the biggest story. And, of course, it was. But um, it was really cool to get to see some new faces step up, get to learn some new players. I've really enjoyed covering Devin Neal's time uh, in Lawrence, and I'm excited to, to watch him at KU. You know, quick, funny Devin Neal story. Um, I had reached out to him to do an interview, and at the time, he, he shot me a message back, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm not doing interviews right now. I'm really focused on the season, but would it be cool with you if I follow up with you after the season? And in my head, I was like, you know, sure, maybe I'm never going to hear this, right. this guy again. <laughs> After around the time I, either he committed or he got took a visit or something, he shoots me a DM and he says, you know, hey, I'm so sorry. I just realized I didn't get back to you. You reached out to me first and you were so respectful letting me, you know, go through my season. I'm so sorry. Anything you need, let me know. And I was like, no, like you're good. You're you, you should do that. Like good on you for handling it. But what a you know, respectful, nice um, you won't find a guy who has a bad word to say about a, a guy like Devin Neal. So I think it's people like that that make it fun to cover sports. And uh, seeing a lot of those young guys emerge, you know, I'm really excited to see Devin Neal's time in Lawrence. He's a great kid. Um, I, I'm excited to see a lot of guys kind of be up and comers here. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Like, for, from what I understand, most of the guys that were, you could say, responsible for the development of a lot of those young guys in terms of, like, a, coaching assistants are a lot of the guys that actually stuck around that are still on the staff. So like, this isn't just a story of, you know, a bunch of guys that developed and now all those guys are gone. You know, all, all the coaches are gone that actually developed those guys. They're like, this is a, you know, these guys developed. We have a lot of the same pieces. Obviously there's a bunch of new pieces to go along with it, but a lot of the same pieces on the development and coaching staff that you would expect this to be a story that could potentially continue into the next year as well, which, which I think is also kind of what helps to, to bump it up there on, on one of the importance or, you know, things that you want to keep in mind. Yeah, I totally agree. You think of coaches like Emmett Jones, Chevis Jackson, learning about him and his, how he builds relationships with guys. I think he loves shoes. He talks to kids about Jordans and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, uh, it's been really interesting to learn. Quan Drake uh, is definitely another one. And, um, obviously some of the new guys who are coming in from Buffalo have been heralded, you know, for their ability to develop too. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's a good group of assistants. I think, you know, obviously a lot of those young guys that I mentioned are gone now, so they'll have to figure out the new guys to replace them. But, you know, when you think of someone like Devin Neal, you think of someone like Jacoby Bryant, who's, you know, coming in at the defensive back spot, in my opinion, has as good a chance to start as any other defensive back on the roster. I mean, there yeah. are still a lot of good young players. Bryce Cable do on the offensive line. Um, there are still a lot of good young players that I, I'd expect to emerge next year. Yeah, and, and kind of, you know, my own personal story with, with one of the players. I actually went to the Iowa State game um, and got to enjoy 
you know, firsthand the the Kenny Logan return for a touchdown that was just kind of like out of nowhere. Like you, you saw him catch it, and I kind of I actually had started to turn away because I figured, oh man, it looks like they're going to swarm him, and then he broke loose and just took it to the house. You know, like so there was a lot of really good development in that game, and that was one of those games. Even though Iowa State you know pushed it out to, I, I think it was a three score lead at the end. Um, you know, that was one of those ones where you saw the development of the players. You saw that they had taken a big step forward, even though they were getting killed at the end of the season. Um, you know, you saw the development of a lot of those players. You had a lot of hope that that was going to continue and that these coaches and these players were going to work together and actually build something. Yeah, for sure. And I'm joined by Ari Temkin. He is the host of Big 12 Radio on Sirius XM. Ari, your favorite biggest most important or just the best story for kansas football this past season the past this past season yeah yeah exactly like not the one coming up correct well one. you know it could be something that happened that is setting us up for next season as well we, we, we we've had a few of those oh i mean maybe the greatest thing to happen to ku athletics um was that jeff long got fired so i can definitely that's agree awesome that. news <laughs> That's awesome news. Uh, we've been on a string of really bad, arrogant, not great athletic directors here. So, you know, Lou Perkins was good, but um, his, you know, the end of his tenure was not great. Uh, Shihan Zanger wasn't, an, I wouldn't say he's an like, like Jeff Long was, but he wasn't great. And then Jeff Long was just bad and an egomaniac. So I think we finally have a good athletic director. Um, I'm excited about that. I think we finally have a ball coach. I'm excited about that. What I will say is um, Les Miles, for all of his shortfalls, and there were a lot, um, you know, at least he did help Kansas get back finally to the, the scholarship limit, you know, so uh, he did a good job of trying to replenish scholarships at the, the high school level. And though they've lost to some, a lot of those guys in the changeover of coaching, I think, you know, it, it started with his ability to do that pretty consistently. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for for all other things that were going on, you know, inside the department and, and outside the department as well. Like the biggest story I think of this last year is the fact that we now have a, basically a reset. Like, yeah, we're not in a, in a fantastic position in terms of building this moving forward, but we're now at least like level with where you would expect somebody who's coming in to rebuild a football program would be, or do we don't have a huge scholarship deficit? We don't have a bunch of shenanigans anymore in the athletic department going on. Like we are now at a point now where you have an athletic director who you think is at least competent, um, you know, you could argue that, that Travis Goff appears to be more than just competent, but actually could be a good athletic director. But there's not, a, you know, a ton to base that off of at this point. But you also have a, a coach who has shown the ability to rebuild programs coming in with now a foundation where he can actually go to work. You know, he's not trying to overcome a bunch of disadvantages in terms of just not having enough bodies. So that, that's probably, I think, the biggest story and, and kind of to, to tie all of what you said together is that we are now reset in terms of trying to rebuild the Kansas program. No question. Um, the, the, we finally bottomed out. We've hit rock bottom. I think last year you could argue was probably rock bottom given, you know, that it's just continued horrible uh, play on the field coupled with, um, you know, I mean, what happened with Les Miles and Jeff Long? And that, that's as bad as it gets in terms of the perception nationally. So, yeah, I'd say at this point now, um, Kansas is a good position to build it back up. And look, I, I think it's, you know, I'm really excited about what Lance Leipold brings to the table. Um, you know, I, I think there's a true and proven track record here from a guy that has built programs and, and done it not through, um, you know, 
mirrors, smoke and mirrors, but rather through, um, you know, building up a program with, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of meat and potatoes type of, of schematics offensively. And so I, look, I think, I don't think Kansas football is about to win, you know, five, six games to be bowl eligible, but I, I think they could, I mean, I would definitely bet them on the over at one and a half and right. they could even get to three wins potentially. Yeah, I think I think the most encouraging thing is that Lance Leipold, he's not coming in promising a quick fix. And the way that he's shown the ability to turn programs around is not a, you know, you you hit on a whole bunch of recruits in year two and all of a sudden you're, you know, winning 10 games or anything like that. It's a slow, consistent build. That's what he preaches is consistency. You know, it's a matter of building slowly and deliberately off the foundation so that you're not just getting a quick success and then potentially falling back down. You're you know, right. building that foundation so you can continue to incrementally take steps forward so that when you finally get there, you know, it might take longer than some people are necessarily willing to to do. But when you finally get there, you're set up in a position to stay there for a long period of time. And, and I think that's what Kansas has been missing. They've been going for those home run hires or, you know, jumping on the first sign of things are getting better and you expect to take an exponential leap. And I think what everyone's come to finally realize, um, you know, which I've been preaching for years, is that this is not there's not going to be an exponential leap. It's going to be a slow and consistent build. And eventually you're going to get back to a point where you've now reset the baseline at, you know, competing for, for bowl games consistently. That's going to take a while to get there though. And you can't, you can't get there quickly. Yeah, no, no question. Um, you don't go from being quite frankly, an FCS level program to competing for bowl games at the big 12 level. It just doesn't happen overnight. And that's, if we're being honest, this program has been a FCS level program. That that might um, even be generous. <laughs> I'd say a good FCS level program. <laughs> well, fair because fair. they've they've lost to those teams too. And can we stop scheduling Coastal Carolina for the love of God? What are yeah. we doing playing them again? Why do we have to play them three times? We really yeah. want two home games from this. I'm not. I'm not sure why when they set that up that they decided to go for a three game. I, I think. I, I do think. To, to be fair, I don't think anyone expected Coastal Carolina to take quite the jump that they did, <laughs> and so. Yeah, it's kind of bad luck in that Coastal Carolina is just a much better team so quickly after transitioning to Division One um, than right. I think anybody it's really. It's just expected. a combination it's of just, oh, Kansas being really bad and Coastal Carolina really ascending. Um, I mean, you think about the the loss, you know, three years ago, or whatever it was the first year of this. Yeah, you know, that looked at like as bad a loss as you could possibly have. And last year, it was like, oh yeah, that's actually a good team. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's not too bad. Oh, um, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, to, to echo your point, I mean, you're, this is not going to turn. And look, I don't, I think like if anybody's under some impression that this is suddenly going to be like the Mark Mangino Jayhawks who are, you know, going for one loss seasons like that, that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think what, what you can hope for, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I, I don't think you have the inroads of Texas that you, you know, those aren't available to you anymore. I think there's far too many, uh, schools in the state of Texas now that weren't there when Mangino was here um, that are now recruiting those kids that, that fell through the cracks and ended up at KU. Um, I, I think at this point you hope for, you know, consistent bowl eligibility would be as good as it gets for Kansas football. Well, and, and kind of to, to be fair, the whole Mark, Mark Mangino thing, you know, it took six years before they had that magical, you know, season. Like it took a long time to build that. And that's, 
what right. Kansas had to right. go through. You know, if you're ever going to reach that same height, it's going to take a similar sort of process, probably even longer, though, just to build from where they were. But, you know, it's going to take that sort of process of a slow build and eventually it's all going to pay off. And the hope is that it just doesn't fall quite as quickly as it did afterwards. Yeah, no, I'm, and I, I just don't know that the I'll, I'll say I'll say it this way. The 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 infrastructure that was in place for Kansas to, to be as successful as they were under Mark Mangino, especially, you know, winning an Orange Bowl. I just don't know that that same infrastructure available to them. Like there, there's a different path maybe there. Right. Like, you know, they, they, they built that roster on the strength of Texas kids that fell through the cracks. I, the problem is I don't Fair. think those Texas kids are falling through the cracks anymore. I think they're not going to UTSA or Texas state or, you know, there's just far too many other opportunities for them that weren't there. So I guess what I'm saying is let's, let's not think that they're in any capacity that this thing can get back to what, Right, what it right. was in 2008. Yeah, I, I don't think it can be done the same way. I think you can ultimately get to the same goal eventually, but you're going to have to do it completely differently. Right, exactly, exactly. And we've got Steve Fetch, our basketball editor over, over at Rock Chalk Talk, joining us now. Fetch, question for you. What is your best or your favorite or the biggest football story for Kansas this year? Well, you know, pretty boring one here, I'm sure, but obviously I think it has to be the fact that Kansas moved on from Les Miles for, you know, off-field re- uh, reasons and then had a uh, pretty drawn-out coaching search and then landed on Lance Leipold, who, even though I obviously preferred Jeff Munkin, um, I think Lance Leipold has to be viewed as a, a home-run hire considering where this program has been and the last few hires that they've had. You know, consider going back to David Beatty, who was a position coach, you know, you had Charlie Weiss, who, you know, was doomed from the start, you know, Les Miles, who uh, brought the big name, but that's about it, Um, you know, and so whether it was because of uh, the time of year, or because of what Les Miles was able to do that roster, um, the pool of candidates was so much stronger than it's been. uh, And they really were able to come out with a a great hire and, and, you know, a plus job for a new AD Travis Goff. Uh, on his first hire and, and if everything's like that I mean I think he has in good hands for a long time yeah most definitely you know you were talking about Munkin being your your preferred and the way that you know I, I I've heard people say that either Munkin or Leipold would have been a home run hire and the way that I kind of thought about it is that you know Munkin is is like trying to go for an opposite field homer whereas Leipold was probably you know the just the 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 pulling to the to the near side there where one is a little bit riskier a little bit more impressive um i think that in being munkin like i, I personally probably would have preferred munkin as well but both of them were going to be great either way you know if if you're successful with it it's going to be absolutely phenomenal for the team um you know it's just a matter of which one do you think it has the you know is, is a little bit more impressive or is going to have a little bit higher upside so um yeah i don't think you can go wrong with with either of those two and you know i i've really enjoyed what i've heard from leipold kind of the the reviews i'm getting and the way that he built the staff i think was probably the most impressive there i'm not sure that we would have gotten the same result in terms of keeping staff as we would have with munkin um and so like just from the from the viewpoint of keeping the main recruiters together and keeping a lot of the recruits and, and like this actual team together i think that's everything that we could have asked for with leipold so um yeah and any any other thoughts on the on the football team though like that, that, that story or anything kind of related to it? Well, I think the other thing, you know, is probably how well you kind of alluded to this, how well Lance Leipold did with uh, assembling a new staff, bringing in those guys from Buffalo who uh, he's been with a lot of those guys back to his Wisconsin whitewater days. And then how he was able to blend in 
the holdovers from the, the previous staff. And it sounds like they kept a lot of really great guys from the previous staff. You know, Emma Jones obviously is the big one. And the fact that uh, a lot of the players wanted him as the head man, but um, you know, kudos to, you know, I have to assume Emma Jones told the guys to get behind Lance Leipold because they have not had as many defections as I thought they would have had. Um, and then, you know, Chevis Jackson, who coaches the defensive backs, he's a guy who a lot of people seem to, to think is a, an up and coming star in the coaching circles and, you know, has certainly found some great prospects and, uh, the players obviously seem to like him. So, uh, great job by Leipold keeping that staff together. And I think, uh, for the first time in, in God knows how long, I think you are well within your right to feel optimistic about the future of KU football. Yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling, but it's a great one to have. And I've got Mike Vernon, our uh, our KU insider here that uh, joined us earlier this year. Uh, Mike, what is your favorite, best, or biggest uh, football story that happened this year? There were some major things that happened in, in football this year. My favorite, I mean, ultimately, for me, the funniest thing that happened on a personal note is having the sources in place to try to break this whoever the next football coach would be. And I was very confident that that was going to happen. And then um, sure enough, they decide to announce the coach at six in the morning, Vegas time. And I was on a trip in Vegas. Of course. I was fast asleep. And I woke up two hours later uh, with like hundreds of texts, blurry eyes and was like, oh, God, I just totally missed this one. I think for for the normal fan, it's not personal. Uh, the biggest thing for me is, is certainly, um, I mean, can we talk about the Lance Leipold hiring? And, yeah, and yeah of course. Cert- the, the job search, it's the obvious answer, but that, that's certainly the most impactful thing that's going to come from this year. Um as we discussed, it came down to Jeff Munkin and Lance Leipold. And uh, a lot of people were pretty convinced it came down to, or, or it was going to be Jeff Munkin. And I think ultimately uh, Travis Goff, our AD, could not get, or, or you know, did his diligence in discussing what KU's offense would be uh, at that time. And Munkin's answer kind of wavered a little bit. I think he blinked. And that's not what's going to get you a head football job. Lance Leipold was there and steady the whole time. And, and that's going to be, um, I, I think, you know, the big thing for KU fans for years to come. And they did a really nice job. I mean, by all accounts, on paper, people who have talked to him, played for him, seems like. The future is in better hands than it was previously. And also, if you want funny stories, find people who worked with Les Miles. Uh, because it, it was a, it was a mess this last year. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. Sad, sad to say. I, I heard a lot of things as well. And I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, it's, it's also kind of though, um, as, as we were talking, you know, you couldn't have gone wrong with either Munkin or Leipold. Um, but in terms of what's happened now since then, you know, like if you got Munkin, there's no way you're going to be able to transplant the culture nearly as much as you were with with Leipold because you're not going to be picking up a whole bunch of transfers from from Army. You know, it's not like all those right. those Army cadets have works. an op. Yeah, yeah, right. They don't have an opportunity to transfer. 
over to KU like all the Buffalo people did. So, you know, it's it's definitely something that's going to help, I think, Kansas kind of jumpstart a little bit. Um, and ultimately, I think it's going to end up working about about as well as it possibly can, especially, um, you know, it, it's not like there was a better option, a better option that was out there. There's probably an equal option in Munkin if you were if you were as confident in what he's able to bring. So, yeah, it's going to be a huge, a huge thing for Kansas moving forward. And it's going to be hopefully setting them up for some success here in the future. Yeah. And and, and I was pretty high on both candidates myself. Right. I, I have a question for you. Yeah. You know, I, I've been a little out of touch with with everything since the hire. Um, is is the general idea or sense that you know bringing those Buffalo guys in was is as huge as it seems like from someone who's who hadn't been able to devote as much energy as he would have liked? That's me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was so I was talking it, with Scott Chasen a few weeks ago on the podcast here and. And, you know, he was talking about how the guys that they got were very targeted in terms of they were, you know, guys that you think can bring in the culture that they need, but also guys that are going to either be depth in the room that they need at certain positions. Like I'm specifically thinking like linebacker position um, and and on the lines, um, you know, or they're guys that are expected to jump in and be immediate starters. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for for Kansas here to assimilate those guys really quickly and really and really get them moving there. So, yeah, I think that that's really smart and gives me some faith. You know, you look at <laughs> why is Kansas basketball so good for 20 years or whatever with with Bill Self, and they maybe haven't turned out amazing NBA players. Generally speaking, uh, right. I, I I certainly think the culture and expectation, and you play for Kansas, you probably play a little bit, maybe better than your than your true talent level is. I think that's something that happens at KU, and I think that uh, the culture stuff is going to matter a lot. And I think it maybe goes the opposite way with football. That you you know you can go home as a Kansas football player, and no one really. You know, or you can go to class and no one really cares. Right. Uh, unlike, you know, the basketball team, the, you know, the whole campus is mourning uh, if something goes wrong. So I just think that culture and expectation setting is a bigger deal than I once thought. For uh, sure. So seems like a smart move. And uh, thank you for letting me derail that conversation. Yeah, yeah, no problem. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And I'm joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, your biggest, best, or favorite football story for Kansas this year? <laughs> uh, well, uh, covering was a little different, honestly, for me this last year um, because a lot of the time was actually not covering them uh, during the season because I got shifted over to politics during the pandemic. So yeah. it, was, it was sort of a weird way to watch KU football um, because, you know, you, you're just so used to being there and watching with the beat. And obviously our Gary Bedore took over and, and did a, uh, did a great job with it. So, um, you know, it, it'll be tough to forget the, uh, the coast of Carolina game just because of the weirdness of it. And it was so late at night and 
uh, such a weird experience with no fans in the stands watching it on television. And then, you know, Coach Kahana coming in and just really blowing the doors off of Kansas. So um, that's something that immediately comes to mind. But I guess for something I did cover, uh, you know, the Les Miles thing, it's, it's, it was pretty crazy, you know? Um, I, I don't think when all that stuff first kind of whispered coming out of LSU and there was actually a lot of focus on Ed Orgeron, there wasn't a lot of focus on Les Miles, but as that thing kind of kept going and proceeding on and proceeding on, it was, it was obvious that this was going to become a bigger and bigger and bigger story and that there probably wasn't going to be any end way to this other than Les Miles not being the coach at Kansas anymore. So uh, also weird to deal with that in a COVID world where you're doing all this on Zoom calls and trying to, you know, uh, make the make the best of what's out there. But uh, yeah, this this was an interesting season for sure. And like I said, interesting season to cover them when I didn't cover them. But uh, the Les Miles situation, uh, the timing of it and how it kind of trickled out news wise, uh, that, that's definitely gonna be something I remember for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely some weird timing. And, you know, it was a little different for me, too, because I think partly because of the timing and partly because of some of the stuff that happened in the last few years, I actually was hearing things before they were getting reported widely, which is a new experience for me, but it was really weird as well. Just like, you know, talking with different reporters and different people who had connections, like everybody was saying, this is so, so much different than it normally is when this kind of stuff happens. And a lot of that was related to COVID. So like what you're talking about, I, I, I definitely understood that and kind of felt that a little bit because it was it was strange to try to get any information when you don't usually get the opportunity to really meet with anyone and most of the people like their sources were having a hard time you know like just everything was was weird and different and the timing in and of of itself was already weird but then layer on you know still dealing with the end stages of the pandemic on top of that and just made the entire thing weird I, i do agree with you that coastal carolina game was was really strange because it went from looking like it was, you know, no way that Kansas was even going to be competitive to, oh my gosh, it looks like they're going to come back to then that onside kick penalty <laughs> call, which was absolutely atrocious. Like going back and looking at it, that was probably one of the worst calls that they could have made. Like it was, it was borderline. That's one where you normally don't see them make a call because it's nowhere near clear. So it was just, it was absolutely insane. The, the roller coaster of emotions that happened with just that one game, uh, which of course then, kind of parlayed its way into the rest of the season too so yeah and i don't want to the other thing i do want to make mention is a, a big question i remember this circulating in gambling circles too before which was how are teams going to fare if they don't have spring ball compared to teams that did yep. and coastal carolina had full spring ball got their whole thing in ku had none and so um yeah I, it was what 28 nothing before you even blinked in that game. And yep. like you said, okay, you played better down the stretch. Uh, but I think that really, to me, it was eye-opening, obviously not Kansas's best game, all those sorts of things, but it, it really was eye-opening to say, Hey, um, this is going to be a strange season because these two teams do not look like they're at the same level. And part of that I think can be attributed to, they did not prepare at the same level based off of circumstances that were sort of out of their control. Yeah, actually that, that was one thing I talked about with Thor Nystrom, one, one of the other guests that we're having on, um, you know, we actually had him on to talk about that at the beginning of the season where like to try to figure out what was going on and like how to, how to handle the trends. And that was the biggest trend that they saw was that, you know, the upsets, that people were seeing were because of teams that had a whole bunch of spring practice or had already had a game prior to playing their, their favorite opponent. So um, yeah, that, that definitely played out through a lot, a, a big portion of the season, especially early. Yeah. I, again, that one just sticks out to me. And I just remember watching that obviously um, <laughs> other things uh, sort of memorable when, when you're looking back and, and 
Um, <laughs> for this Kansas team, unfortunately, just not a lot of close games. You know, they had the West Virginia. They were up just briefly in that one for a while. Um, and then, then obviously West Virginia stormed back. Yeah, but, that, that uh, this, was the one this, that gave us hope. Yeah, this, this was not. Down. <laughs> and then Texas Tech played real well defensively uh, late in the season. But I do remember being out. I was eating. Um, I was back on the beat at the time and uh, being out eating lunch uh, out on the patio because it was the pandemic. It was a warm enough day in December, which was nice to, to eat on a patio with my wife. And the news came down of the Texas game being canceled and uh, just sort of not being surprised because uh, this, unfortunately for Kansas, it was just sort of a season that needed to end. And yeah. Texas was probably not going to get any better for them. But I think that's sort of, uh, unfortunately for Kansas, that's how you look at the season is that when it came down to the final game, uh, you know, no, nobody really was in need of playing that game. And everybody kind of understood KU's fortunes from that point. Like I said, some of it in their control, some of the out of their control, but everybody obviously will be looking forward to a better 2021 uh, with a new staff in place and, and trying to put that behind them because that's all you can do at this point. And I'm joined now by Mike Plank, the editor-in-chief over at Rock Chalk Talk. Mike, your biggest, best, favorite, or the most important football story for the Jayhawks this year? Okay, so the best part about the season was that it ended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you recall, but uh, they they uh, postponed or canceled, I guess, the Texas game to end the season right. a week early. But uh, uh, but it, it that cancellation made Kansas avoid becoming the first ever program to lose a hundred games in a 10 season span. So uh, definitely the fact that it ended when it did. Um, although to look, maybe on a little bit more positive note, I do think that uh, I am looking forward to tracking the development of wide receiver Luke Graham. He had a couple of good games there towards the end of the year. I, and he, I think he had a couple of touchdowns against TCU there the, the weekend of Thanksgiving and and a couple of uh, highlight real catches. So uh, he, he may be a good receiver for us to keep our eye on in future years. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I do agree with you about the, the actual season ending being a good thing. As much as I was trolling people trying to say that Kansas was going to upset Texas, I don't honestly believe that that was going to happen. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was good. I think it was good that there was a, a Texas cancellation for COVID and a Kansas cancellation for COVID because now nobody can say that one team was trying to avoid the other, even though. Texas, you know, definitely Her- Herman definitely didn't want to lose to Kansas to to get run out of there the same way that his predecessor did. Absolutely. And I'm joined now by Derek Johnson of uh, 1320 Rock Chalk Sports Talk over in Lawrence. Derek, your best, biggest, favorite, most important story for the Kansas football team this last season. You know, it's it's really tough when you don't win a game and at the very least, I guess you have some good young players, but Marcus Hare, oh, no, he's gone. DeJon Terry shows some potential. Oh, no, he's gone. Uh, Karan Pronti looks like one of the best. Oh, no, he's gone as well. So it kind of becomes more difficult with football. So I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here um, and choose a little bit of a different story. Uh, a guy that we've been having on our show every Friday for the past, I don't know, couple of years, Brandon McAnderson, who was the uh, starting running back for the 2008 Orange Bowl champion team uh, ran for over a thousand yards, had a great season. He's a Lawrence native, just a great guy. And he's been coming on our show to talk KU football for the past couple of years. Obviously hasn't been an easy time to come on the show and talk KU football with all that going on. Um, but he got the sideline analyst job for the KU uh, Jayhawk radio network, which we were just so happy about. And I think he adds so much um, 
to not just the broadcast, but you've been seeing if you've been paying attention to all the KU football with their social media and everything going on. Him and Daryl Stuckey have been doing these awesome videos together where they just kind of talk talk about the uh, X's and O's or you get to kind of get like a scouting report on coaches or players, stuff like that. So in a year where not a ton went right for KU and certainly bringing in high school players and certainly getting Lance Leipold to be your head coach, those are both awesome positives, but I'm going to go with what to me was one of the coolest stories, which was Brandon McAnderson, local Lawrence guy, former KU player, a guy who has been so good on the radio and stuff getting that shot at being able to be the sideline analyst being around the team. Yeah, I I actually remember when he announced that and I was I was absolutely stoked because you know I've been hearing him on your guys' show for for quite a while. I, I agree, does absolutely a phenomenal job. And the insight that they've been able to provide both him and the Daryl Stuckey, you know, with those videos and those sorts of things, I think it's a net positive for anybody, not just KU football fans, but honestly anybody to be able to to get that kind of breakdown from someone, you know, who or from some people that have actually been involved with the program that really know what they're talking about because they've lived it um, is always a good thing to have more and more of that. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. At, at first I didn't realize that you were doing a bit with, with the, uh, with the individual players. <laughs> and then I realized after the second one, it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. That's all intentional. But no, I mean, I, I agree. Like most of the guys that you, that you clearly saw big jumps forward from in the last season are now gone um, in those particular three, you know, there is a guy in Kenny Logan who who stuck around who, you know, I, I'm definitely excited to see the guys, the young guys that did develop and potentially the ones that are still going to continue to develop, especially since they kept everyone together. But you're right. Like, I think I think if you're looking for positive stories moving forward, things that they're going to be able to build on. The only thing that we know for certain is those kind of things off the field. So, um, yeah, that's actually a great one. I hadn't even thought about that. So I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point. You know, Kenny Logan's going to be a great player i think uh but a lot of it's just kind of waiting to be seen uh, especially with the new coaching staff and um i like the new coaching staff i like the lance Leipold higher but again everything is just uh, a big shrug right now till uh, we kind of actually see it on the field and i'm joined now by brendan drazinski of 580 uh sports talk on wibw over in topeka brendan your best biggest favorite most important football story for Kansas in this last season you know it's easy to to look back and say the fact that uh well it ended and Les Miles is gone and Lance Leipold is in uh, I mean that's your your obvious one if we're talking about the the actual football season though I I think I'm gonna have to go before the actual ascent of you know Lance Leipold coming in it's the fact that you know, the, the biggest moment of the season was finding out what exactly was going on with Les Miles before he, he got to KU. And, you know, you could focus on the negatives like, hey, the team was noticeably worse on the field in year two than it was in year one, because uh, let's be completely realistic. There wasn't a whole lot to be positive about uh, in terms of the actual football during the season. And then you end up with a handful of dudes who are actual contributors who end up leaving. I mean, you know, best moment was probably seeing Karan Prunty be good for exactly one season and then decide to transfer. I mean, that's kind of your, your list for the good, but finding out what exactly was going on in Baton Rouge. And I mean, we are not ever going to find out probably if anything happened in Lawrence after Les Miles moved to KU, but you know, that that's the biggest thing to me because it really signaled a shift for the entire athletic department. And 
in a way, and this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it, it did feel like almost a positive that KU did the right thing and did it quickly because I, I don't think I'm speaking too far out of turn here to say that KU athletics does not always, and KU as a whole does not always do the, the right thing or at least do the right thing right away. But to see the reaction to something like that, that, hey, these dudes are creeps when you're talking about Les Miles and Jeff Long, and we are going to do something different right away because we don't want this to turn into what LSU was dealing with because they still are in a, a very bad light for everything that was going on at that institution. So just the major almost cultural shift just by finding out what had happened in Baton Rouge making a change in and just sort of the general transition into what's next. I mean, I, Travis Goff, you're, you're talking more next year since he's just taking over as the AD Lance Leipold. Obviously we haven't seen the start of him actually coaching games or a fall camp yet. So you've still got all of that to come in the future. But to me, it's just the, the overarching fact that we saw this gigantic cultural shift off the field that I think is going to hopefully signal something positive for the football team. But, uh, you know, in a, a decade plus where all the news off the field pretty much has been either poorly received or straight up bad, uh, it is kind of amazing to see KU instantly do the right thing. And it really did feel kind of like a, like a monumental shift. Yeah, I mean, I think that there there could potentially be some argument about how we instantly they did it, but you know, once the the actual report came out, there was actual details to know what was going on. It was it was pretty clear that Les Miles was no longer going to be the head coach at, at Kansas, and it was just a matter of how exactly do they orchestrate the exit? Because you, you know, you can't you couldn't necessarily fire him for cause because he didn't do anything at Kansas. Like this is something that the athletic director should have found prior to hiring him. And so they basically did what they had to do to part ways with Les Miles. And, and again, that's not to downplay anything that Les Miles was actually able to do, you know, cause he did have some, some, I think some mm -hmm. fairly significant accomplishments, but it was pretty obvious that Kansas couldn't move forward with Les Miles as the head coach. And they did, like you said, immediately started taking steps to make sure that that got rectified, you know, that they got to the point that they needed to. And then, you know, that immediately put, you know, issue or that, that immediately raised some issues with Jeff Long and what he actually did in in hiring Les Miles whether he actually did his job and while they they ended up negotiating with Jeff Long and you know paying him a buyout I think they would have potentially had a very strong argument to fire him for cause but avoiding a headache after the whole you know David Beatty court nonsense that they had um, I think it makes sense for Kansas kind of just moving on and not having that specter hanging over their heads it allows them to do what you're talking about to have that that cultural shift have them looking forward and just focusing now on what does Travis Goff bring to the athletic department? What does Lance Leipold bring to the, the, the you know, to, to the actual football staff and, and changing that, that culture. And I think really that initial step, that initial willingness, you know, to, to make those changes, to not try to justify, Oh, well, you know, miles didn't do anything while he was here. We have, we don't have any reason to get rid of him. Like making that immediate step signaled what this Kansas team and what this athletic department you know, and, and the school as a whole, really, really, uh, Chancellor Gerard, you know, is is really focused on and what they're going to be able to do moving forward. It kind of reset everything and will now allow them to really focus on what they need to to get the football program turned around. Yeah, I'm with you. And again, I, I hate to be, you know, super negative, generally speaking. And I think you made this clear when I've been a guest with you before that I'm usually fairly positive, relatively speaking, 
about the football team, but, you know, I, I don't love to dwell on negatives, but there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, big, good stuff that actually happened during the year. So when you think about, just like you said, that opportunity to just shift the focus and look forward and just focus on the football again and, you know, to talk about the, the new head coach and the new staff, I mean, that's kind of what Lance Leipold is. He's a no bells and whistles guy, but but that's what KU needs. And after multiple sideshows in a row, when you talk about the Beatty lawsuit, which finally came to an end, so that's a positive over the past year you have the the miles saga that continued to roll on it it feels good to just have a shift and say okay we're done with all the fanfare we're done with the the big flashy name is this a good idea hires you just you've got some no-nonsense guys or at least at the time it seems like no-nonsense guys and and you're moving in the right direction and you're right it goes all the way up to the top and ensure there's arguments to be made about the way specifically it was handled. But to me, just, just overall, as I said at the top, it just feels to me like there was a very noticeable shift. There was about a one week shift during the off season where it went from, Oh God, what, you know, this, it's all kind of a malaise because the team is bad. And now we're hearing word that Les Miles was doing all this horrible stuff in Baton Rouge. And then suddenly it shifted to, okay, we're, we're talking about football. Now we're going to make the next move. Coaching searches are always kind of morbidly curious as well. So it, it just felt like, again, to, to use the word, a, a shift, a seismic one almost into something a little bit brighter and, and to the point where you even see people, you know, random Twitter users or people in your mentions who will, who will make a comment about how, you know, this, this feels a little bit better now, even more so, I think, than when Miles came in and, and not to discount the fact that Miles did do some important things for the program and bringing in two years worth of high school recruits to try to rebuild the scholarship numbers. That was a positive, but the feeling of going from, well, yeah, no, this is Kansas to, okay, well, now we feel like we're actually doing something the right way. Uh, you know, it just, it feels like a positive step for this program. That's essentially the, the easiest way to boil it down. And that's going to do it for our guests for today. Uh, I just wanted to share a quick story for me. You know, my my favorite story, I think, from the season. Not sure that it's necessarily the best thing, but, uh, you know, I actually had the opportunity to go to the Iowa State game. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the time there. I, I went with, my, with, with two of my sons, you know, and it was nice to be able to get out. Uh, to Memorial Stadium to be able to watch the team. And, the, you know, the thing that I noticed is despite the fact that, you know, the game didn't necessarily go quite as well as you would as you would hope, um, you know, Kansas was still making big plays, was still was still fighting, even though it was pretty clear that Iowa State was the better team. Um, you know, they were in that game late. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the biggest story for me is the fact that the Kansas football team never actually gave up this year, even though everything was stacked against them. They didn't really have, you know, the opportunity to, to put everything together in, in summer, you know, or in the spring practices or anything like that. Um, you know, but they were still fighting out there. A lot of the young guys were still developing. We're still showing strides and it was difficult to put it all together because of the competition that they faced and because of, you know, everything that was going on with the actual program itself. Um, but you know, this, this team didn't look like it was beaten down. Um, yes. The offensive line was absolutely atrocious. Yes. Jalen Daniels was running for his life pretty much every single play. Yes, you know, they had multiple quarterbacks. They had plenty of guys that opted out and decided to move on, you know, guys that transferred at the end of the season. Um, 
but the actual team itself continued to fight. And, and I have to attribute that to the coaching staff, especially the assistant coaches, you know, that were, that were keeping these guys focused or keeping them moving on. Um, you know, a lot of which those are the guys that are still around that are, that are on the new staff that are still pushing this football team forward. And so, you know, the, the message I think to take out of this season is that, you know, this isn't a complete reset. Bringing in Lance Leipold is not a complete reset of Kansas football. Um, you know, they do have something to build on. They have something to look forward to. They do have, you know, the things that Les Miles brought to this program are still here for the most part. They brought in a bunch of guys. We have some, you know, some brand uh, or some additional news of people that are that are, you know, committing to the university that are transferring in. So the future does look bright. The question is always how quickly are they able to get things turned around? But, um, but that is going to do it for us today. Uh, this is the last that we'll talk about football this season. Um, you know, other than of course, if there's any football tangent stories that are coming up in that, in that final episode. But, uh, like, like I did say, we are going to be taking a break in the month of July, but, um, you know, despite that, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts. There's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. They need the million apps that are out there. You can search for Rock Chalk Podcast and subscribe there so you get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, and nice comments would be absolutely great. If not, for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So, so if you ever have any questions, comments, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Uh, now that we're on Anchor, you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message and we can get you on the show. Um, you know, we are we are looking to do some, some brand new things coming up in this next season, so I really do hope that you stick with us. But thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.